Hey, it's Perrin. Before we start today's show, I got a favor to ask of you. We recently set a record for daily podcast downloads in a single day. We hit about 550 downloads, and that was a record by a good shot for us. We appreciate everybody who's in our network and in our audience. And just like you, when you grow your patient base through referrals, we grow our podcast audience through referrals. If you're on your iPhone, for example, and you're looking at our podcast episode or the title page on it, there are three little dots in the upper right-hand corner. If you click on those three dots, it brings up a menu. And most of the way down the menu, there's something that says, Share Show. If you click on Share Show, you can text or email our podcast to any of your friends or colleagues or people you think might benefit from the subject matter we share. We get a lot of great compliments on the content we share from almost every phone call I take. And I really appreciate everybody being in the audience. So if I'm not asking too much, I'm gonna ask you to share our show with a couple of friends, colleagues, or people you think might benefit. It's the way we'll expand our audience and DeWalker and I would be eternally grateful for it. Thanks very much in advance. And with that, on to the show. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to season two, episode 29 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. We got a tremendous amount of feedback from our prior two episodes, the prior one with Dr. Sampson Liu and the one previous to that on uh, aspects of a rising rate environment. Today's episode is gonna be similar but different, similar in a great way, and that I'm bringing my partner, DeWalker Sinha, back behind the mic. That's right, the little man with the big microphone is gonna be joining me on today's show, but it won't be as long as those other two episodes were. I still recommend you brew a good cup of coffee, maybe not two this go round. Get your pad and pen ready. The Walker talks fast and he goes deep, as you well expect. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Once again, thanks everybody for joining me on the show. This is Perrin Desports and I am your host. As I teased in the introduction, I'm joined today by my esteemed partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, you want to say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. I think this is like two out of the last three, and maybe we'll make it three out of four. So this is a series, DeWalker, that is all in your wheelhouse. It's your prior life. I like to tell people that you are a recovering healthcare banker, um, but it's a subject that you know uh, a tremendous amount about, and it is a subject 
that everybody building a group practice will encounter. We call it hitting the debt funding wall. Uh, I think we may even have an episode of the podcast titled as that. But you, for those in the audience, you've probably seen presentations we've done heard us talk about the debt funding wall. It's a scenario that gets a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are building group practices in a lot of hurt very early on in their growth stage. And some of them, it causes to, to outright stop their growth strategy. Others, it's um, a painful breakup, uh, painful in, in a very financial way uh, to, to move that relationship. So what we're going to cover today is, uh, like I teased in the introduction, uh, the, the name of the episode is Overcoming Your Own Obstacles for Change. And we're going to talk about um, the change process, what it means to leave a bank. We're going to reference some of the things that we went through with Dr. Sampson Liu uh, in the process, some of what brought him to that point. Granted, he's built a tremendous business in size and scale that's arguably a lot bigger than most of the people in this audience, but the principles are still the same, and I think you can learn from his journey. So do we want to just maybe have you rip it from the top and, and talk about some of those challenges and those obstacles that are change related when somebody goes through this process? Do you want to take that one uh, first off, Dee? Sure. So I think in, a, in, a, in my previous podcast a couple of weeks back, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, getting our audience members to kind of think about how are they positioned uh, for 12 to 24, 36 months down the road. And the reason we focused on a long-term trajectory is partially because of, you know, the, the, the steps somebody has to take and the process we go through. The our process and the short end is to go through a process to find the right institution is, you know, uh, shorter end is, Four months, and you know they can take as long as a year, depending on the size of uh, size of the transaction and check request. Um, so I, I think when um, you know people are going through this process and saying, "Okay, wh where am I going to be, or what do I need to be in 12, 24, 36 months?" You know, one of the questions I asked before was kind of help identify your business plan, help understand your vision, look at your de novo or acquisition strategy, uh, and as you go through that uh, and you start to see interest rates go up, you know, obviously last month. Um, you know, there's a, a, a 75 basis point Fed funds rate improvement. There's probably 75 funds, uh, basis points Fed funds improvement rate this month, assuming the CPI index is, is probably consistent with the last few months. And th that trajectory may or may not be there based on how the CPI continues to uh, influence over the next six months to a year. And, you know, one of the things that I you know, read early in my career is a book by Dr. Spence and Johnson called Who Moved My Cheese? Uh, and I think, you know, I think we go through that experience. If you haven't read that book, I would highly encourage people to kind of uh, uh, read that book. It's a quick read. It's an easy read. And and and, and book title is talks about who, who, my, who moved my cheese. It's an amazing way to be able to change in your work and your life. And that's about the evolving change and being able to adapt to change and being ready for change and embracing change. And I think when we went through COVID, people needed to, uh, went through, the, the cheese got moved, right? I mean, we had a, 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 a healthcare epidemic come through. We had to readapt. Uh, the world of Zooms came in, remote work life came in if, uh, in the corporate America world. Um, PPE equipment and, and uh, different healthcare standards came in. And that was, the cheese was getting moved in a very rapid fashion in, in the healthcare industry in itself and then overall in the macroeconomics the global macroeconomics aspect of how people are living their lives. And as we go through this CPI uh, uh, um, pricing around 8% uh, uh, or greater, or even 6% or greater, that's pretty, 
pretty aggressive. You know, the cheese is getting moved again. And I think we have to embrace change and understand that change is happening. Um, and, and one of the things that we, people need to be thinking about is, okay, what are, how do they move past their own challenges about change? Um, and when you're thinking about a capital raise process or saying, am I right with, with the right lending institution? Um, you know, my banker keeps telling me we're, we're in a really good spot. We're going to continue to lend to you. Uh, I may or may not have a written commitment uh, in writing. Um, you know, what are some of the things that might be underlying issues or obstacles for our audience members? I think that one, one of the things is to accept that, okay, you're not with the right institution. And that might be experienced through, um, you know, you applying for a loan, the process taking 60 days, 90 days. We, we've had clients that where it's taken over a year. Um, and, and those are very, you know, uh, challenging aspects because if you're in a de novo aspect, you know, definitely have to work through aspects of losing a space if you have a deposit. If you're in an acquisition aspect, you're going to probably lose the practice. That's in queue. So uh, I mean, as you're going through that, first step is, hey, do I have the, the right institution today? And then once you commit and say, okay, maybe I don't have the right institution, you start to go through the other challenges that, that may be there. I mean, and one of them is collecting financials and the operational data. And, you know, depending on the size of your business, if you have, you know, two, three locations or you have 55 locations, I think the task just becomes exponentially harder. I'm sure at, you know, 50 locations, you may have an executive team that could help you with that lift, but you have a lot more data to aggregate. And at two or three locations, you may not have the executive team, but you still have data to aggregate. It's probably all on you or maybe your, your regional manager, or your office manager, or director of operations. So I think... You, you have those challenges. So collecting financial data and, and going through that process is an obstacle. I think another thing as you go through that, I, I would tell our audience members to kind of think about that they will need to resell their business. And I say that in quotes, meaning you're not selling your business to a, a financial buyer or a DSO, but you're having to repitch your business. One, to Polaris, because we're going to be your advocate for you and fight the right institutions, help us identify your vision. But as we go through the diligence process with in a multiple institutions, you're going to have to pitch your business on why you are, who you are, what you do, and why you do. And I think that's a good you know, self-reflection point for our, you know, a lot of our audience members that may or may not be looking at those things for consideration, which is having to sell, resell your business, have to present it again. You might be successful. You might have $500,000 million, $2 million in EBITDA or $5 million in EBITDA, and you're having to repitch your business. And I think that's a really important thing to have that happen today in a lending process because that will put the, uh, the microscope on your business now, rather than when you're going through a marketed sales process with us in two years, 10 years, um, to have that in a quality of earnings analysis or a uh, buy side diligence call. Uh, and I think those are much more, uh, much more productive and healthier to have that when you're going for a banking lending process. So I think that's very impactful uh, as to the fact that you have to resell your business. And I think that's probably another obstacle for a lot of our audience members that you know, they feel they have a successful business. They don't want to go through and invest the energy uh, financial energy, emotional energy to repitch their business, uh, but I do think it's a very healthy exercise. Yeah, l- let know? me let me chime in there real quick because I think you're it, that's a that's a really um, a great point that you bring up that people um, only look at from the lens of it being a a complete pain in the rear, 
you know, which it is. I mean, none of us like to even refinance the mortgage on our homes, let alone uh, upset a a business banking relationship. But your point is an incredibly good one that if, if we can get the audience to just pump the brakes for a second and say, okay, this exhaustive approach of data collection, financial review, and also fine-tuning the business plan um, to, to court uh, potential uh, lenders to, to be the, the bank of choice is a really healthy process to go through because it's a similar process when you talk about reselling your business in quotes, it's a really good way of putting it. It's a, it's a similar process that you should be going through when it comes to recruiting associates. It's the similar process that you should be going through when you're courting people to sell their business to you or, or to roll equity into your business and become a minority partner. So, you know, really taking a second to understand the groundings of your business, the way it's constituted, the merits of it, and why a bank should be should bend over backwards to to want to earn your business, just like an associate should jump at the chance to join your business, just like a seller would be crazy to to enter into a transaction with anybody else other than you. It's a really, really healthy process to go through and you need to take full advantage of it. Sorry to kind of charge in there, but I, I didn't want to uh, fail to underscore that point with you. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think it's a it's a really good reflection point. And, you know, apparently when we were looking at our business at Polaris, we're always uh, look, making sure that we have uh, the who, what, why, where, and how we're doing it. So I think it's important for, our, you know, our audience members to kind of think about that on an ongoing basis, um, have that as internal discussions with their leadership team, and then go through that microscope as they go through the process with us and, and appreciate that. And I think, uh, uh, not look at that with a negative lens, but uh, 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 go with that with an, a positive appreciation lens. So I think that's a, that's another aspect of an obstacle somebody might be going through because that's that's something that they're going to experience in this four month to one year journey. Uh, another thing that might be coming up uh, in that process is legal structure. Uh, some of our clients have regulatory compliant DSOs. Some of our cl- uh, clients don't have regulatory compliant DSOs. Some of our clients have different partners at different practices. Um, and as we go through this refinance process or capital solutions process, you know, we have to kind of bring in and kind of think about the holistic organizational structure uh, to how we're going to be lending on. And these are all things that we're uh, talking about early in the process. And rightfully so, as you're going through that in the lending process, if you have any uh, misalignment with one of your partners in a lending process, you quickly discover that versus going through a sell side process with us, you know, where you have, you know, three, five, 15, $50 million in, uh, in valuation uh, at stake and, and you have some level of d- d- discrepancy with your partner. So I think that's important to kind of work through those aspects on a legal structure. Another thing would be, um, you know, transitioning banking relationships. Uh, depending on the institution, so we can have, have a fairly robust uh, Rolodex. Uh, so there are some non-bank lenders. Uh, the pricing on those are going to be higher, but they're true middle market. And, and those check sizes typically start out around 40 to $50 million. Some go down to about $25 million and go up to $200, $250 million check size request. So I think, you know, we get calls all the time as far as, okay, when does debt capital run out? And the short answer is it, it doesn't as long as you're running a good business. Um, you know, you know, not, we just talked about 200, $250 million in debt capital, uh, just for some audience members, that's going to be 
around a 50 to $70 million EBITDA business. Um, that's, uh, uh, you know, in, in today's market, that's close to a billion dollar valuation. So, I mean, I think you're, you're, you know, looking at fairly healthy sized DSOs or middle market institutions, um, you know, that, that, that can, can just continue to grow with debt capital versus, uh, inject equity capital. And now there's definitely a place for equity capital. And we'll talk about those things in different, different podcasts. Um, and, you know, another uh, aspect that people have to kind of work through is, you know, transactional cost. You know, as you're going through this process, uh, we're going to be engaging uh, accounting firms, attorneys to work through that process. If you're in a, a three to $5 million check size, your costs are going to be lower. If you're starting to deploy 25 to $100 million in capital, your, your transactional costs will be higher. So I think those are another, uh, uh, things to kind of think about, um, you know, as you're, as you're looking at some of the obstacles you have to work through. And, and you have to be able to uh, uh, really answer the question, what is your opportunity cost? Meaning, you know, why would you go through collecting the financial data and operational data on your business? Why would you go through the process of re-quote unquote selling your business to Polaris and all the institute, uh, banking institution partners we bring to the table? Why would you consider moving your potential deposit accounts if it's a bank, a bank partner that's, that's providing you the capital? Uh, why would you invest the money to look at your DSO structure or look at your partnership agreements and different practices? Uh, you know, th- but in, in, in all actuality, you're, you're going through a sell side process, except it's a bank. Wouldn't you want to discover your entire business uh, uh, process in, the, in, in a lending strategy than a sell side strategy that might be happening two to five years down the road? And I think this is you know, one of the things that allows you to do that, um, you know, as, as you're thinking about obstacles. So I think that's a, a great point. So we, we always say that, you know, you, you've built this great business. Um, when, it, when it comes time to exit, this is the, uh, the one time in your life that you're going to do this. You need to work with a, uh, a trusted representative who has your best interests at heart and who's done multiple transactions because they know how the game is played. I mean, we've kind of echoed that refrain a, a couple of times. So when we, we say here, that you know where it's a, it's an opportunity for you to resell your business we we mean validate your business or revalidate your business to yourself and to a handful of third parties that's a healthy thing to go through the other thing that DeWalker just mentioned is kind of like that pre-exit event type of an event <laughs> to be redundant but if you're looking for the opportunity to really understand what a a, a dry run a trial run uh, at a potential exit process what it looks like going through a banking recapitalization is for all intents and purposes a very very similar process has significantly different outcomes tied to it don't get me wrong but the process involved is very similar from an advisory role that we play the accounting role uh, you know justifying quality of earnings and validating financials the legal um transaction piece of it uh and everything like that so it is uh it is a heady process to go through ultimately you're not selling your business at the end you're quite the contrary, hopefully getting a lot of dry powder to continue to grow your business. But it's a great kind of a, a, a trial run that gives you a framework or a perspective on what an exit process might look like at some point down the road, if that's what you're endeavoring to do. So I, I think it's uh, the, the process has some, some merit to it as well. Um, you know, I think 
the other piece to this, and and I think we're going to dive into this probably next, Walker, is that, you know, we're we're very bullish on the future of doctor led doc, you know, a doctor founded and debt funded group practices. The entrepreneurs who happen to be dentists are building groups and they're using bank funds to grow. That is our target audience. Okay. The private equity backed groups are all the ones that grow, you know, a hundred locations a year. They're the ones that capture all the headlines, but our target client, the people who are on this podcast and listening to it uh, are, are the, the entrepreneurs who are working themselves out of the chair, they want to build a bigger business. It's not dependent upon them. They want to grow successfully. They want to cash flow tremendously. And they, you know, I'd say probably at least half of them want to exit at some point in the future, whenever that might be. If we think about our core audience, I don't want to, you know, prognosticate negatively and, and say that we're destined for a recession that's the talk in the the marketplace and uh, across the world, really, certainly in the United States. But you know, the likelihood of an economic downturn of some sort is is probably upon us. So, what does that mean for our market and and our audience? Well, it means a couple of things. You know, if the overall uh, employment levels start to recede a little bit and some businesses start to contract, people start to spend less money, there may be uh, higher, slightly higher unemployment. Uh, we could see a downturn in some businesses. The ADA has talked about the next couple of years of you know, the senior dentist in, in our world uh, continuing to transition out over the next two to three years, there's going to be a an outflow of them. We know that's going to be happening. But for the people in our audience, getting your business straight right here, right now today, and getting a committed lending relationship in place with dry powder that you can use for growth, I have to believe that the next maybe two years roughly plus or minus are going to be a target rich environment. And we know that banks, when everything is going great, the approval process for banks on acquisitions that you make seems to take an indefinite and interminable amount of time. That's not going to get better in a downturn. It's only going to get worse. So having that committed relationship in place from a lender that's funding your growth strategy into the future uh, and, and having the process taken care of before all those target rich uh, opportunities come up is critically important. So do you want to transition off of that kind of dissertation from me, for lack of a better term, into to kind of the the buying of the businesses and what, you know, the, the churn that we might see happening from a process standpoint, traditional lender versus committed lender? Yeah, so I think uh, as, uh, you know, one of the other things to kind of think about is your, you know, your growth strategy and how you're acquiring practices. So um, as, as simple as if you're buying a business for, let's say, 80% of revenue or 75% of revenue, let's, let's use that as a math, um, and, you know, that practice ends up being, you know, let's say 15% EBITDA margin, that's $150,000. And if you end up buying the practice for $750,000, um, you know, plus working capital or accounts receivable, you're at $800,000. So let's say 80% of revenue in the business, you know, the debt service on that is roughly going to be around $8,500 a month, $9,000 a month. So let's call it about, 
hundred to $110,000 a year net service, right? So, and your EBITDA margin on that business is about 15%. And, you know, we can kind of go through improvements post-transaction and all those things uh, that might be applicable. But I think as you're going through and doing, you know, if you're going to be doing one of those deals a year, uh, you might be able to go to your traditional lender and be able to say, okay, can you look at that? Um, and depending on the lender, they might uh, do a carve-out deal and, and, and potentially consider that. That being said, most institutions are probably have a difficult time because what they're typically looking for is a, a minimum fixed charge coverage ratio of 1-1 one, one or 1-2-0. One, and, and what that means for an institution is that for every dollar in debt, uh, and we talked about global DSCR in previous podcast, uh, DSCR stands for debt service coverage ratio which is how they're looking at your debt to income ratio from a business level. But if a fixed charge coverage ratio is only in the business. So when we talk about a one, 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 two, what that means is for every dollar in business debt, you have a dollar 10 to dollar 20 in income. And really it needs to be closer to a dollar 20 as you start to go into the true middle market space. So in this case, if your EBITDA is $150,000, you know, and uh, you know, your, your, uh, your debt service is $110,000, you know, even pre-tax basis, you know, you're running right at that, you know, 1.20, right? So, yeah. And, and I think that those going to, those things will cause challenges for, for, you know, banks there. And that's again, pre-tax. If you add the tax burden and some institutions have a tax burden allocated to it, um, then you may not qualify or they might have a 110 cash flow requirement. Uh, which might provide you some level of flexibility in case they put a tax burden on there. So that's, again, traditionally how, um, you know, when you're looking at smaller lending, that might be in play. But if you're starting to go into um, doing two, five, 10 per year, um, using that methodology where you can go to, you know, bank, you know, let's say you have a relationship with, you know, bank XYZ, and then you're going to bank Z, and then bank Y, and then bank X, and you're trying to, you know, uh, uh, you know, split your lending relationship because you don't want to switch your initial lending relationship. And we talked about that a couple of podcasts ago about the rising cost of capital. Um, and that might be also another obstacle. You're just going to be entering into different lending relationship. And a lot of our clients go into lending relationships because they're trying to avoid leaving their original relationship and end up entering into other relationships or concurrent or new relationships that have very high prepayment penalties. Um, as much as 5% or 10%, and some banks even offer a contract balance payoff the first one to two years. Uh, so end up being another obstacle. Prepayment penalties end up being part of our transactional costs. But if you're going to be doing more than two per year and really start to get towards three to five per year, so, and, and another way to look about it, it's so going to be deploying three to $5 million in capital per year. Uh, doing a one-off deal is probably not going to work for you. And uh, so that's another thing you need to be thinking about is, you know, is your lending institution can provide that level of capital on an annual basis and restack the debt uh, debt structure uh, year over year? Meaning, you know, you have a you know five million dollar facility today with the bank, you're acquiring three million dollars in debt through Denovo's acquisition, and they provided you a three to five million dollar facility. So initially, they provided you you know let's say three million dollars, eight million dollars. You use up the full three million dollars, you get to the eight million dollars. And are they willing to, as long as your business performs, when they restack and give you another $3 million and move the goalposts forward for you? Uh, and those are the kind of things, you know, as, a, as a, a growing group, you want to be thinking about as far as your capital structure. And a lot of banks don't provide it committed capital or, or guidance line of credit. And I think those are the kind of things 
and we want to be working towards as you're thinking about your growth strategy for your business. Uh, and those are going to be, again, it comes back to the obstacles of, okay, you're going to leave your lending relationships. What are the things you're going to have to be doing as, as you engage us or, you know, even just having that normal conversation with your banker, because you're going to have to, again, one of the things you're going to have to redo, even if you're staying with your current bank is to resell your business. You know, we have a lot of clients tell us that, you know, I've had this exposure with my XYZ bank for the last three years, my five years, they know everything about my business. And the truth is we've, we've gone to those banks for a lot of our clients and, you know, unfortunately they just are another business they're lending to uh, in the market. They're one of hundred thousand businesses they're lending to in the U S and so we are having to repitch that relationship every single time, even if our clients want to stay with their existing bank. Yeah, it's, um, it's tough breaking up with a bank. There's so much friction uh, in terms of changing those relationships. I know just as a personal consumer, it's a, it's a gigantic pain in the rear, you know, um, changing deposit accounts and, and everything like that. Um, but if you're an entrepreneur who's looking at growing more than one practice a year, and sometimes even growing one practice a year is too much for some, uh, some banks, um, this is a this is a relationship you've got to get clarity on. Um, and if there's any doubt in your mind, um, and if they won't give it to you in writing, as we've said before, then it's this is the time to evaluate it. Um, things will not get easier if we start sliding into a further economic downturn or a or a recession. Um, you know, credit approval doesn't come easier at that point. It's a longer process. It's more scrutinized. Banks feel like they can't afford a miss, justifiably so. Uh, so this is the time to really focus on this aspect of your business to understand, do you have the right relationship in place that is going to fund that growth strategy? And, and do you have written confidence that they're the ones to take you through uh, this next phase of the business? If not, then now's the time to do something about it. Um, you just can't afford to uh, um, uh, to leave that loose end untied for every single time you go about acquiring another practice. It's um, it's foolish to do that. DeWalker, this has been, you know, a, a, another tour de force on banking. And like I, I prefaced in the beginning, um, this is this is something that catches all but a hundred percent of our clients. And I, I think the environment that we're in right now, uh, it's a, a paramount importance to really gain clarity around this and, and have a solution in place that, that people can live with for another five plus years in the future. Any, uh, any further concluding thoughts or, or comments from you before we wrap up today's show? Uh, yeah, just again, you know, uh, as you're, you know, thinking about your business the next, you know, 12 to 24 months, whatever's the outcome you're trying to be at, um, I would encourage you to reverse engineer the timeline and really identify, and this has nothing to do to just with like lending relationships or banking, just running your business overall. If you've identified you're at three practices and you want to be at 10 practices in five years, and today, you know, we're at 2022 and 2027 year, five-year business plan or five-year uh, five vision is to be at 10 practices. Well, how many do you have to be in 2024? And how many do you have to be in 2023? And how many do you have to be by the end of 2022? And really start thinking about those things as far as de novo acquisitions. And the same thing goes to as far as um, uh, team, number of team members you need to successfully execute in that transaction. 
What does your revenue look like? EBITDA look like? Kind of really put the entire business plan together. Uh, and we're happy to do that and work with you, kind of think through those, that, those, that thought process. But re- reverse engineer a timeline. And if you want to be in a position to aggregate in 2023, you really need to be starting to think, look at that process now in 2022 and say, okay, what, what does my current lending relationship look like? And if anything, you know, uh, engaging players in that process will probably get you to have, even with an existing uh, uh, lender, having better terms in that process. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. We talk about, you know, on these episodes that it's a, a foregone conclusion that the, the client will be leaving their existing bank. And that's probably not the way to, um, that's not accurate in terms of a, a statement at all. I, we are, we are not predisposed to uh, um, force a client to change that relationship. We, we are engaged to help the client clarify that relationship and solidify it with a, a look toward the future, not just on a one-by-one basis in terms of transactions. So it, there is the potential that you could stay with the bank you're at, but just maybe arguably at a higher level of business-to-business banking versus retail banking. So uh, good good thought to conclude today's show. That's a... Uh, um, uh, again, another wealth of information. I really appreciate you joining me today, and I know our audience is going to get a lot out of today's episode. So with that, I hope you all have found um, today's episode to be very educational. If you've got questions for me or DeWalker, you can send them to Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com, or DeWalker is D-I-W-A-K-A-R at polarishealthcarepartners.com. We'll link to both email addresses in the show notes. Stick around with a couple of additional thoughts before we wrap up today's show. Well, DeWalker is always a fountain of knowledge and I really appreciate him being on the show. We don't get him on every time, but when we do, he really brings the uh, the heat and I know y'all really appreciate it. Before we wrap things up today, uh, I want to share something with the audience. For those of you who know me um, or have followed the show for a while, you know that I'm a pretty avid reader um, and, and I try to make time for that. It's Reading is kind of a release for me, candidly speaking, and I find that I get wrapped up into um, a lot of business books all too often, self-help books, business books, whatever it may be. We probably all read the same stuff, and I've started to actually make time uh, to, to read uh, novels and fiction and you know some of these uh, stories that I even read as a kid, and, and it's really sort of been a moment of levity. And for those who are in the audience who are readers, or some of you who like to uh, listen to books on Audible and some other audio type uh, books, there are a handful um, that I'm going to share with you that I've either read or listened to recently that have been really, really great. Uh, one, I went back and read uh, The Great Gatsby by F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. We probably all read that in high school. I hadn't read it since high school or maybe it was early college. I don't remember, but it's been a while. It is an epic tale and it's so well written and it's just such a departure from uh, life and everything these days uh, going back to the roaring 20s. Really, really cool and also a very easy read. I mean, I I didn't binge it, but I read it pretty quickly. If you're looking for a, a good book to read that kind of gets you away and gets you out of the moment, um, Great Gatsby is still great. Um, Another one by Ernest Hemingway is A Farewell to Arms. Been a really long time since I read that one. Uh, Set in World War I, 
They don't reference cell phones in there at all. Uh, and you really uh, pick up quickly on why Hemingway is such an unbelievable writer. He wrote that book when he was like 30 years old, too. It is a love story set um, uh, in the Italian campaign of World War I uh, between an ambulance driver, which Hemingway was in an earlier phase of life, uh, with a British nurse. I'm not going to give away the conclusion, but um, it is a... Uh, uh, you get wrapped up emotionally in this book pretty quickly. Let's put it that way. Farewell to Arms is a great uh, story for those looking, again, for some some bit of a departure. Uh, a book I may have referenced before on the podcast by Stephen Pressfield called Gates of Fire is about uh, the Spartans' last stand at the gates of Thermopylae. Um, which is a, a novel and the way it's told, uh, it could be one of the best books I've ever read. Um, I don't know much about Greek and Roman history, honestly. Uh, I want to learn more after reading that book, um, but it is a an unbelievable uh, tale that is uh it just it wraps you up and it's hard to put down. So uh, a book I would highly recommend. And then one last one um, that I recently listened to uh, on Audible because we were on a couple of family trips and I had a lot of windshield time is a book called American Kingpin by Nick Bilton. And um, it is the story of a young guy um, who builds a website called the Silk Road on the dark web. And uh, the, the story is about, uh, the Silk Road is a, is a, a website that traffics in drugs and, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, firearms and a lot of illegal stuff. And it is, um, you know, like the, think of like the eBay or, uh, Amazon.com um, uh, in the prior prior world, um, and it's you know this this is a book that is is really just uh, the the manhunt behind um, the the governmental agencies that uh, go after the the guy that built this, and it's an amazing story. Uh, it is really just something that uh, I can't believe. I, I didn't know anything about it, and I can't believe it's all real. <laughs> so um, in any event, uh, I would highly recommend American Kingpin by Nick Bilton. And it's the story of the, the guy who built the Silk Road's name is Ross Ulbricht. I, I failed to mention that. Um, but the story behind it is epic. Uh, and it is uh, it happened in the early um, 20 teens. Uh, so it's not too um, long ago, uh, and it is just an unbelievable story that uh, would be worth your time. I'm sure it's a good read. It was a great listen, uh, and I'd highly recommend that. So I, I wanted to, to share those four because I feel like everybody's always asking me for reading recommendations, and I tend to default to all the business books I read. Uh, but these are four that really kind of got me out of that business genre, and they're totally worth your time, and they'll take you away from your business in a very, very good way. So hopefully you find some, um, some merit in that. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, and if you have questions, feel free to, to send them to me or to Walker directly. We really appreciate having you in the audience. We really appreciate having all of you uh, submit the questions that you do and the engagement that you have and certainly the nice compliments that you share with us. Feel free to uh, drop me a line directly at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. You can obviously find out 
more about us on our website at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We will see you on the next episode.